right, well, welcome to the workshop, Long Timers. My name is Stacy, and I'm a compulsive breeder and your moderator for this meeting. Hi, everyone. Help us preserve the cherished tradition of anonymity by refraining from taking pictures in this or any other meeting room. The format for this session is a reading, two speakers, and an ask-it basket, which we'll be passing around. The basket with paper and pencil will be circulated for you to write any questions you may have for the speakers, and we'll start that five, ten minutes into the speakers. Please specify whom your question is for. The reading is from the big book, pages 551 and 552. I've had many spiritual experiences since I've been in the program, many that I didn't recognize right away, for I'm slow to learn and they take many guises. But one was so outstanding that I like to pass it on whenever I can in the hope that it will help someone else as it has me. As I said earlier, self-pity and resentment were my constant companions, and my inventory began to look like a 33-year diary, for I seemed to have a resentment against everybody I had ever known. All but one responded to the treatment suggested in the steps immediately, but this one posed a problem. This resentment was against my mother, and it was 25 years old. I had fed it, fanned it, and nurtured it as one might a delicate child, and it had become as much a part of me as my breathing. It had provided me with excuses for my lack of education, my marital failures, personal failures, inadequacy, and, of course, my alcoholism. And though I really thought I had been willing to part with it, now I knew I was reluctant to let it go. One morning, however, I realized I had to get rid of it, for my reprieve was running out, and if I didn't get rid of it, I was going to get drunk, and I didn't want to get drunk anymore. In my prayers that morning, I asked God to point out to me some way to be free of this resentment. During the day, a friend of mine brought me some magazines to take to a hospital group I was interested in. I looked through them. A banner across one featured an article by a prominent clergyman in which I caught the word resentment. He said, in effect, if you have a resentment you want to be free of, if you will pray for the person or the thing that you resent, you will be free. If you will ask in prayer for everything you want for yourself to be given to them, you will be free. Ask for their health, their prosperity, their happiness, and you will be free. Even when you don't really want it for them and your prayers are only words and you don't mean it, go ahead and do it anyway. Do it every day for two weeks and you will find you have come to mean it and to want it for them. And you will realize that where you used to feel bitterness and resentment and hatred, you now feel compassion and understanding and love. It worked for me then and it has worked for me many times since. And it will work for me every time I am willing to work it. Sometimes I have to ask first for the willingness, but it too always comes. And because it works for me, it will work for all of us. As another great man says, the only real freedom a human being can ever know is doing what you ought to do because you want to do it. This great experience that relieved me from the bondage of hatred and replaced it with love is really just another affirmation of the truth I know. I get everything I need in Alcoholics Anonymous, and everything I need I get. And when I get what I need, I invariably find that it was just what I wanted all the time. 
And on a personal note, somebody pointed this out to me a month ago when I was having a problem before my mother came to visit me for 10 days in New York. I started, I didn't know I was to read this, by the way. They, they gave it to me, so it's very, very incredible. I started that prayer and did it twice a day, five days before my mom got there. I was praying for her happiness. I was praying for her to deal with her overeating. She's not a member of OA. She's been faithful to Atkins since he passed away. And you know what? Five days into my stay with her, she said to me, Stacy, I can't believe this, but I have no desire to eat any of this food here at Soup Plantation. Isn't it incredible? And the resentment that I was feeling had been lifted. So I just wanted to share that with you. Well, our first speaker is Jim from L.A., and he will speak for 25 minutes. So let's welcome Jim. My name is Jim. I'm a compulsive eater, and uh, I'm by Countyol, which is I'm in LA Orange County, so it's it's one of those blessings of being in Southern California. Um, uh, so, uh, welcome to uh, OA, and um, I like this being a long-timer uh, panel. Um, I never know whether that means that I started when I was six days old, and now I'm now in 20 years, or if I'm really older, but I am older. Um, I um, when I was when I was looking at that, like what I when I got what I needed, I found that I got what I want. Um, one of the things that struck me, there are two things that struck me. One is that I use this little thing with resentment all the time. I'll talk about that in a minute. But um, I was thinking when I was really young, I was just thinking back when I started uh, doing disease as far as I can remember, um, was when I moved to California from the Midwest. And I was in fourth grade, and everything sucked. Uh, the reason we moved was because I had asthma so bad, the doctors told my parents, either you get this kid out of Illinois and go to the West Coast where it's dry and warm, or he'll be dead before long. And, you know. So that's the perfect basis of a resentment toward your parents. It's that they're trying to save your life. <laughs> and other kids would go, thank you for saving me. You know, and I go, I hate this. You know, and that, you know, so there was something going on before that. But what I can remember was that um, I, I was in a uh, private religious school. I wound up in a public school. I was, you know, all my friends were gone. And, you know, and what I like is security. There are some people who love adventure and love experience, and I like safe. Thank you very much. So uh, what I did was come up with, like, a list of things just quickly that were my beliefs before I got in program. And the reason I'm mentioning that is because I, I think part of this is that I don't know really what I want, and I knew less of what I wanted when I first got in program. So if I was praying for what I wanted then, and if God had been my friend and answered my prayers, I would be in worse shape now than I was when I started. Instead, God listened to my prayers, and my higher power is sort of this friendly, kind of humorous, resilient as hell. Will you know? It's the only thing more tenacious than the disease I've got. I, I created a higher power that will be with me, no matter where this disease goes. It's peace with me. So. Um, I, you know, the first beliefs I had was that I wanted to live alone because I figured out that if I lived alone, life was a lot simpler and less troubled. 
<laughs> so that's one, one great idea. Um, I, I had this sense, uh, one of, and, and I think it's in the AA 12 and 12, it talks about well, our character defects are really our gifts that HP gave us, and then the disease distorts the living hell out of them, and then we ruin our lives with it, and what HP does is bring us back to the gift and get rid of all the crap we added. So one of my things is empathy. I tend to be an empathic person uh, or empathetic person. And um, so what I, my thought was, since I'm not going to have people in my life, I'm going to help you all because you need a lot of help. I could see that people needed a lot of help. I, of course, not, but you guys all did. And so what I would do would be to try to guess what your need was before you knew what it was, answer the need before you knew you even had it, and then resent you because you didn't appreciate me. So on that sound footing, that was my second great idea. The other thing was that I thought it would be really important to be honest, uh, except emotionally, because if I was emotionally honest, there would be conflict, and I didn't want any of that. So I was just sort of honest enough to look honest and feel honest and told myself I was honest, but I wasn't honest. Um, and then uh, I don't like asking for help. I still don't like asking for help, which is my, why my higher power last night had the director of the show ask me right before the show, would you get some people to help you move the podium off of the stage? See, if I could have picked that friggin' thing up myself and moved it off the stage, you would never have heard me ask the front row, is there anybody here who helped me move this podium? But my higher power is there. And my experience is if I try weaseling out of a lesson, a life lesson that HP wants me to have, my higher power will come back with another chance. I don't call them chances when I'm in them, but in retrospect, they are chances. So uh, there's that idea of doing it myself. So basically, I do a lot of stuff myself. And the, the last saving thing that I thought would make my life wonderful uh, was that knowledge was good. Uh, there's this idea in, um, in AA uh, that uh, basically our, our emotional and spiritual development stop when we start drinking. My experience is the same thing when I eat. When I eat, I'm not interested in emotional growth and the hell with God because that's not important either. What I want is I go into my head. Some of you may go in different directions. That's my safety net. I think well. I think quickly. And if I can get up there fast enough, I don't have to deal with anything emotional or spiritual. Okay? And if I eat, that keeps me out of the whole game altogether. So um, the bottom line is that's, that's where I came in the program uh, with that kind of thinking, which basically just produced a lot of pain in my life. Um, I'd get into relationships where I could help people. Uh, I did not feel I was lovable, so I got in with people who needed help. And my thought was if I was needed, that was as close to love as I was ever going to get. And that was about as close to any love as I ever deserved. So I'll just be needed a lot. And you'll find, at least my experience was, that there are a lot of people who are willing to accept help. <laughs> and, and that if I'm a helper person, I get attracted to the helpy kind of person, right? So um, my favorite game once I got in program and somebody said, you know, I don't want you to date anybody for a while because uh, it seems like you just get attracted to these <laughs> really in trouble people. My game for a while was to go into any group of people like a meeting and, and look around and see who I was attracted to. And it was anyone in tears. It was, it was anybody panicking in the corner or racing for the door. It was like, 
wow, they really need me. So as you can see, I was a little bit self-centered, uh, a little bit. Uh, and what's nice is, like I said, my experience after being in program for a while is that um, those escapes that I wanted to try to be safe never made me safe. They built a lot more pain, a lot more anguish, a lot more stress and tension, screwed up my life, and I was just trying to be safe. You know, I was trying to follow the rules and be safe. Um, one of the, in the, the paragraph right before what was read at the beginning here um, is, A has taught me that I will have peace of mind in exact proportion to the peace of mind that I bring to the lives of other people. And it has taught me the true meaning of the admonition, happy are they who know these things and do them. For the only problems that I have now are those I create when I break out in a rash of self-will. Um, and, uh, you know, that that is sort of uh, this idea of not knowing what's best for me. Um, my best thinking was to eat. I mean, I'm a compulsive overeater. So if I was lonely, what do you do when you're lonely? You eat. What do you do when you're happy? You eat, right? It's, it's like I would spend weekends in front of the refrigerator, and uh, my parents had this rule in the house that I could watch TV as late as I wanted as long as I never woke them up. So I have developed the ability of turning the volume down on televisions late at night and opening refrigerators very quietly <laughs> and not opening any packages that are noisy. You know, this is all hard work for a young lad. And so... Um, those are the kind of skills that I learned, which was basically keeping you at arm's length. Uh, one of the great gifts of this program is the fellowship of the program. Um, there isn't, you know, if, if, if I started eating roughly third grade, I was maybe 10-ish. If I started doing that, then my emotional maturity and spiritual maturity was about 10 when I got in here. So now I'm in about 22, 23 years, roughly in that range. So it's, you know, I'm up in my 30s now. I'm cranking him. Um, and at the same time, it's, it's like that, that emotional vacuum means that when I started going to meetings, I didn't know how to interact with you folks. Um, and when I meet newcomers, I try to just remember, okay, they got stuck somewhere just like I got stuck, you know. And um, one of the great comforting lines in the program to me is because I'm a security scared person, um, my higher power, of course, got me a job as a teacher and a social worker so that I could deal with my empathy things and my speaking in front of people things. Um, so, you know, it, it's, it's like when I look at where I came from, my higher power has just been giving me gifts, giving me gifts. Um, and that idea in this line about and doing them is that a lot of times it's taking contrary action. So somebody early in program said to me, when you see a newcomer, do not let that person run out the door. My first meeting was um, a 100-pounder meeting. I don't know why I picked that. I just picked it out of the schedule and went in, and I looked around, and I saw people who were pitching about losing 100 pounds. You know, and I thought, I don't have 100 pounds to lose. I don't belong here, right? And I heard other people pitching, and I thought, I'm going to get the hell out of here. You know, it's, there's a break. Somebody said there's a break. When that break happens, Jimbo is out that door, right? So I, as soon as the break happened, I, I, I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings because I'm a nice guy. 
You hear all these great tapes I have running in my head that keep me from being real? Okay, I'm a nice guy. So I go to the back, and I thought, look at there. The literature is by the back door. So I wander up to the literature and casually look at it. Why, look, literature. And then this meeting had a literature person who was sitting there. And they said, I noticed you're, you're looking at the literature. Can I help you? And they said, no, no, I'm fine. I'm fine. I don't think I'll get any today. Well, let me get you to the front. So she ushered me to the front row of the meeting because she said she thought as a new person I could hear better there and not get distracted. Okay. So that's how my higher power works. And my, my skills around interacting with people, I've learned from you folks. I mean, virtually, I would come into a meeting and think, okay, Jim, it's time for you to learn how to say hello to someone you don't know. How come I never got that skill till I was in my 30s? I have no clue. But I did not have it. So I would walk up and say hi. And sometimes people would get scared by that. They'd go, ah. <laughs> and they would run away, and I'd go, oh, what did I do wrong? You know, and it's, but it's practice. And another person would say, oh, so good to meet you. What's your name? Blah, blah, blah. And, and I started listening and trying to build up skills. So a program is a great pl place to learn how to live. Um, the first time I did the steps was, I don't know if it's still going on in the north, but there, was AWOL, there were AWOL groups, was a way of life groups. There were contained um, groups that, that basically closed that went through the steps together, and that's how I got through the steps the first time. So those kind of things were, you know, take advantage of whatever, my experience is, take advantage of whatever HP offers me. Am I going to take advantage of everything HP offers me? Hell no. <laughs> right? Because... My higher power is, you know, my vision of security is narrow. Higher power's vision, wide, right? And I look at wide and go, ah, narrow, because that feels safe to me. The, the joy of this program is that the security that I wanted by closing my life down, because when I eat, I'm basically wanting to die and close in. I want silence. I want no interruptions. I want quiet. I want no emotional involvement. I want all of that gone because life is simple. It's dead, but it's simple. Dead is simple. Anyway, so the, the, the idea of this wide range of stuff is that HP gives us a lot of options and um, presents us with neat opportunities. Um, so, um, so, for example, um, uh, I didn't ever want children. So my higher power had me marry a woman who had two of them, and then we had a third one together. You know, and I look back at that, and I think, wow, what a creative genius this higher choreographer is. You know, it takes, and if you would have asked me, do I want children? I go, no. Did I need children? Yes, apparently so. They were there. Oh, well, look, there they are. Uh, and so it, it, that process of trusting that is really the great news of this program. If you're kind of new, and this sounds scary as hell, all I can tell you is over time the security that shows up is not that I close life down narrow enough that I think I'm controlling it. It's delusional any way you look at it. If I had like a one-minute day and I slept for the other 24 hours and 59 minutes, I would still have problems controlling that minute. I do not control very much in my life. The security of this program is that I have a higher power with me and you guys with me, and somehow or another, whatever shows up gets handled. It gets handled. And sometimes by me, sometimes by somebody else. So when I walked up in the front of the stage yesterday and said, can somebody help me move this podium, you could all go, <laughs> that was my thinking. There's going to be no one. 
no one will help me. But I asked. They should help me. When I was younger and this stuff, you know, I'm a great manipulator. I'm excellent at that because that avoids me having to ask you. I can guilt you into stuff. I can dance around indirectly asking for things until you finally get it. Duh, come on, wise up. How many more manipulations do I have to do before you realize you're supposed to help me? You know, and then if you don't help me, then I just think you're dense. Right? And I've never asked, and no one's ever said no. But I, today I get to ask, and today sometimes people say no, and then I get to ask again. And my fear that I would feel just from the rejection would just feel horrible and would never ask another soul just isn't even accurate. So the, the security that's there now is awesome because it's basically HP security. It's like I can come up here, and I don't know exactly what I was going to say. It's like I used to uh, write notes and things like that, and I even wrote some today just because I wanted my thinking clear. Writing helps me. Um, but when it comes right down to it, I sit down for 10 minutes and I ask HP, if there's something I'm supposed to say today, let me say it. And if somebody's supposed to hear it, let them hear it. Uh, one of my favorite uh, experiences in pitching is when I get done and somebody comes up and thanks me for saying something I didn't say. <laughs> you know, they go, Thank you for that. And I go, God, that must have been that other speaker that said it. You know, and, and my, the people in the program that I look to who have the life I want, you know, basically say, thank you is a complete thing to say. You know, thank you. I'm glad that was helpful or whatever, you know. Instead of needing to be right, correct, you know, fix things, all that kind of stuff. So um, the other thing is uh, this idea of making mistakes and perfectionism. I heard that several times this weekend already. Um, and uh, I'm going to run out of time, so I'm going to shift gears to this praying for this person with resentment thing. Um, I've been doing that for a while. It always works for me as well. This, you know, this paragraph is my experience, so that's cool. Um, what I got when I was reading it for today, however, was an interesting thought. The thought is how much I am angry and resentful of myself. If I listen to the chatter in my own head, I don't know if you guys do that, it runs very, very, very fast and mostly negative. It's like, you haven't said a damn thing. Your time's almost up. What the hell's the matter with you? You should have dressed differently. You know, what's the matter? Your notes are screwed up. You know, it's like somebody's not paying attention over there. Oh, God, I'm boring. You know, it's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, that doesn't come from a loving spirit. <laughs> this is not HP echoing in my head with thoughts of wisdom. This, this is Jim's thinking that got him to eating all the time. Okay. So one of the things I thought when I was reading this is, who else do I resent? Me. I resent me for all the crappy things I say to myself in my own head. I resent me for eating when I don't want to eat, for gaining weight when I don't want to gain. I mean, the, the list of things that I'm angry and resentful about myself from my, you know, my disease and all that, or if I screw up, I've got a disease. I didn't choose to become a compulsive overeater. I, you know, it's not like I was sitting there one day and thought, let's see, here's the checklist of diseases you get to pick. <laughs> okay, that's not that. You know, um, there was somebody who wasn't in program over at the, um, at the Cafe OA uh, area uh, last night, and they were saying, uh, can we come in and listen to the music? And I said, sure. And I was like, what is this? Oh, wait, oh, wait, what is that? That's... And then the other one said, oh, yeah, that's Overeaters Ominous. <laughs> 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 
And I thought, ooh, that's that's pretty good. That is, there's this ominous sense. And, um, so, you know, my sense of this is that what I'm getting from being asked to do this and doing it, you know, this line about uh, uh, happy are they who know these things and then do them, uh, is that I'm doing this. And what I got from looking at this is that if I start praying for myself, the things I want for myself, there are two things that happen. One is I'll probably have less resentment. My experience is it works with other people. Why not work on me? You know, pray, Jim, you know, blah, 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 blah. That'd be great. Okay, so I'm going to try that and see how that works. I'll let you know next time we talk that uh, that's there. The, um, the other part of that of sort of praying for myself is that I don't do wants well. I was raised by Midwest parents whose basic thought is take care of everybody else first, and if you have wants, shut the hell up. Basically, you know, we're the adults. You don't even know what you want, you know. So I don't know how to do wants. Still, one of the scariest parts of the year for me is right before Christmas when I have to make a list for family members of what I want. My wife is superb at this. Ta-da! You know, and I'm sitting there going, oh, God, what is it I want? And so when, you know, when I was looking at this, I thought, what a great line. It says, if you'll ask for everything you want for yourself to be given to them, and I think, so what do I want for myself? Half the time, I don't have a clue. I want security. I want to be safe. I don't want to get hurt. <laughs> okay. And uh, that's, you know, that's a start. Uh, but what else do I want? So when I was thinking about this just before the, the meeting now, uh, one of the things I remembered is that uh, some people are more experienced people than me. I'm a reflective person more than an experienced person. Um, there's a friend in program who has a couple of lines that really helped me sort of sort this out. Um, one is, uh, she says that, that, that her sponsor keeps saying, when you get down, you know, you fall down, get up, get up. Okay, that I can identify with. Get back up, try it again. Uh, there are, you know, there's no failure here. It's just, you just keep trying. It's practicing this program. Uh, the other thing is that she says she was uh, in the gutter. Now she's on the sidewalk. She wants to fly. And I thought, do I want to fly? Hell no. I don't want to fly. <laughs> so some of this is when I think about what people want. They want adventure. They want excitement. They want all these things. And I sit there and think about it. I don't really want those things. Does that make me defective? No. It just means I don't know what the hell I want. I still don't know. After 23 years, I still don't know what I want. Very well, so I keep learning, and that's the great part of this being a way of life program, is that it offers us a chance to learn how to do life. We can learn how to do the things we do in life. We can learn how to grow up emotionally. We can learn how to develop spiritually so we have a relationship with a higher power. When I was little, I used to talk to clouds thinking they were God. I went to a, a parochial school. God was everywhere. Then I started eating, and I moved. And God disappeared just like that. And now I'm back pretty much to the state where in the morning I thank my higher power for every sense that I still have that functions. I thank for sight, hearing, taste, all of that kind of stuff because I worked in nursing homes and I saw those things disappear. And today, if I wake up and have them, thank God. Um, I turn over and look at my wife and go, thank God. You know, okay, I thank my my higher power for being able to think, um, for being able to have an emotional life which gives me access to HP's emotional wisdom to me, which before I didn't have. All I had was intellectual wisdom, and knowledge doesn't get as far. 
I need emotion to listen to, uh, that, that I have a, a physical ability to move still. Uh, currently, I've got a floater in my one eye, which I don't know how that's going to go, and I've got knees that don't want to work for me. But I'm able to move and do stuff, and um, that I have a spiritual sense that today, when I look out at all of you, HP's here. I'm walking out on the street, HP's in the trees. Everything is HP-driven. Everything is HP-driven. And the essence of that stuff even existing is HP-driven. So that's, a, you know, that's like the start of the day, and the end of the day is winding down so that I can quiet the mind enough to go to sleep. Um, I love literature. Uh, it's one of those things you can do alone from my rule of do it yourself. So, uh, by the way, if I could do it myself, I still would not be here, but I can't. So, here I am. Uh, I wanted to close with this uh, from our new book. If you haven't checked it out, Voices of Recovery. Um, it's another day book that uh, I've got like seven day books I read every day, three in the morning to get me out the door with some sort of spiritual sense instead of wanting to kill everyone. One I've got in the car because by the time I drive to work, I've remembered all the stuff I didn't get done at work, all the people who irritate the hell out of me, et cetera, et cetera. And so it gets me centered to walk into work and have a smile on my face some of the time. And then three, I read at night to shut down the machine. And I'm categorizing and all that stuff. So um, this is another one that I got to add. So this is for the 21st. Um, it's really, And I'll just close with this. Uh, the quote is from the 12 Steps and 12 Traditions of OA, page 24. We give up fear and indecision, knowing that if we are sincere, our higher power will give us the knowledge of our best course of life. Not a bad promise. Okay, so under it it says, I realize that my higher power is giving me guidelines when I think of a course of action or a solution that is entirely new or different for me. This way I know the idea wasn't mine, which is kind of comforting. Uh, I realize that my higher power is giving me guidance when I see other people struggling with similar problems and I recognize how OA solutions have worked for them. This is God's way of showing me, by example, what works. I realize that my higher power is giving me guidance when I realize that an unplanned event or person has literally popped up in my life. Then I know it's a God thing. You know, these little surprises. And the last line, and I couldn't find where the line came from, but it's somewhere in our literature. If I am truly willing, I will see the character defects replaced gradually by impulses of a different quality that I can live with, comfortably free from self-reproach. That's my experience with recovery. I ask for things to be removed, impulses to act differently show up, and if I do them, my spiritual life develops, my life develops, and voila, life gets better. I can ignore them, of course. So uh, thank you for being here today. Is the Ask It Basket still making its way around so we'll have it? Already, great. And if it gets here, you can get it going again for new people that came. Oh, okay. Wherever it's going, I'm not sure going forward. So if it comes here, go ahead and tap it again. All right. Well, great. Now our second speaker is Phyllis. She's from San Diego, and she'll speak for 25 minutes. Let's welcome Phyllis. Phyllis here, and I'm a chunky, drunky, drunky. <laughs> Some of you know me. Um, you know, um, I pray to God 
this morning to my higher power to help me and give me the right words to say, and he said them all. <laughs> you know, I looked at the, the title, and it says, what I want. When I came to this program, I had not a clue what I wanted, except, perhaps, I wanted everybody to listen to me, because as the controller of the universe, I knew better than you did about what, specifically about what you should do. And I came into uh, the program, and um, I did not like people. I put on, I think, uh, a good act out there in the world. Uh, I had achieved some measure of success uh, in, in the uh, professional world, but my family, you know, <laughs> Whatever they could do to keep me away. I had lots of acquaintances. I don't really know that I had a lot of friends. Uh, I, too, I think it's probably something that is pervasive in the program. Uh, I would never, ever give you the feeling that I had to rely on anybody but myself. And uh, I was totally and compulsively self-sufficient. And I needed no one. Of course, I weighed 235 pounds. I am an alcoholic of major proportions and a drug addict. But I also have to tell you that compulsive eating is my first addiction. I was a compulsive eater long before I found other things that I thought made me feel good. I grew up in uh, an environment was, here's a cookie, don't cry. That worked. It really worked, and I grew older and bigger with cookies and everything else that I thought would take away the feelings. So, under those circumstances, it's very difficult to know what I want. I thought I wanted more clothes, more shoes, a nice car, more jewelry, uh, the best-looking guy I could find, and I looked uh, you know, I also thought that, you know, you, you find a partner and you get married and you have a house with a picket fence and 2.3 children and a dog and, you know, whatever that, that is. And none of that worked because there was this, this total emptiness in here that could not be filled with food, jewelry, drugs, alcohol, cars, blah, 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 on and on. Um, life had absolutely no meaning because I really, I felt like I was dying. And I was. And I found out in the program that there are a lot of ways to die. I was 16 years old when I tried to commit suicide the first time. I've spent a lot of years in and out of therapists' offices and I can remember the last therapist that I went to, just at the beginning of, of my program, he would sit at his, in his chair nibbling on food. He had, you know, a jar of stuff on his, on his desk, and I was always, you know, 
please partake of this. It, it will make you feel, it makes you talk more, right? <laughs> well, the fact of the matter is, when I left him, I gave him a copy of the gray sheet, and I said, goodbye, and, you know, <laughs> didn't have to do that again. I came into this program, not for myself, I came into this program because a man I was dating found the program. He, well, it's a long story, and I don't want to go into it about He was going to go into business about um, weight reduction. It was going to be based on Alcoholics Anonymous, blah, 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 blah. And then I see Overeaters Anonymous in the paper, and he goes. And he goes to the meetings, and he's telling me about all these women who give him hugs. And I said, you're not going there alone anymore. <laughs> you know. But I came into the program, and I said, I don't want this either. I didn't like what I saw here, I saw people holding hands. I, I heard people saying prayers. Now, God and I, if we ever did have a relationship, it had been broken somewhere when he didn't give me what I wanted. And so, uh, you know, when I come in here and people are saying the serenity prayer, which, which I had heard, and, uh, you know, I said, that is so corny, and I am not a corny person. I'm much too sophisticated, you know, for this kind of nonsense. Only I didn't call it nonsense. I called it another word. <laughs> I don't say those words anymore either. But um, I, I saw people that were talking about reading books, and they're, they're holding this book from Alcoholics Anonymous, you know. And um, I must have had a clue at that point that I had a problem with alcohol and certainly with drugs but I used to say that the drugs that I took were I started taking drugs because doctors gave them to me and they were prescribed for me the fact was that they were prescribed in small doses and I come from a place of, of you know better living through chemistry so that if one is good two are better you know, and, and three, and then, well, this is like that drug, you know, and I was getting my stuff out of the trunk of somebody's car. And uh, I don't know that I was ready to give that up. I don't know that this is what I wanted. And of course, somebody said, if at the end of 30 days you are not happy with what you've gotten here, we'll refund your fat and misery. And I said, okay, I'll give him 30 days. Why, I don't know. I haven't got a clue because I'm the kind of person that would try something for 15 minutes, and if I didn't do it fantastically, perfectly well, it's gone. I have a closet full of half, well, not even half finished, but of started hobbies and, you know, stuff like that. And so I said, well, I'll give him 30 days. Well, I gave him 30 days, and then I gave him 30 more and 30 more, and I just recently, just exactly one month ago, May 20th, I celebrated something like 11,300 days. Um, I have been clean, sober, and abstinent, because that's a word I learned when I came in the program since May 20th, 1972. And... Uh, that I wanted that, but I certainly wanted to be thin. I weighed 235 pounds. I wore a big black wing coat, and I figured if I wear that, nobody would really see, you know, what I look like. And uh, I wanted to be thin, rich, and beautiful. 
Is that asking too much? Thank you, ladies. <laughs> Men don't understand that kind of thinking, and I want you to have long fingernails. <laughs> but I really did not have a clue, and I came into this program, and this is where I learned what I want. Because what I want and what I needed were different things. I needed this. I needed a higher power. I needed structure. I needed discipline. And that was another thing. You know, don't tell me about, about structure. I don't want to be involved in that. I can't do that. I can't do the same thing day after day after day. I get bored. And when I get bored, I want to eat. And when I eat, I become hateful. I become a terrible person. I am not a nice person when I am eating or drinking or using drugs. The things that I thought were going to make me feel better backfired on me all the time. One teaspoon of ice cream, that's all I wanted because it, would, it feels good here. And a, a teaspoon and a half gallon were a Dixie cup for me. <laughs> there would never be enough. You know, just one bite. I don't know how to do that because I have this mechanism in my head that says, I am out to destroy you. It is a disease. It is a disease. I do believe that. And it, it wants to kill me. And I have been given something in the program that says, sweetie, if you follow this prescription, you take this prescription every day, and you do what we do, your disease will be in remission. Now, I'm never going to be cured, but I can recover. And in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, on the first page, it says, recovered men and women. Well, I'm not so brassy as to think that I am recovered because I know that this disease is so insidious. That's what I've learned here. I've learned that I have a disease that keeps telling me I don't have a disease. So what happens is I need to have a procedure to follow to be able to face this thing on a daily basis. And in doing that, in learning how to do that with food, I'm learning how to do that with life. I had the week from hell this week. I know I've had weeks from hell before, but this, this is the most current, so it's the one right up front, you know, and there were, there were a whole bunch of things that, that went wrong. I didn't compulsively eat. I did not overeat. I did not drink. I didn't use. I did, I did finger my books. There's a lot of, you know, fingerprints on my books. They'll always know whose book that is. I don't need CSI to come and, you know. <laughs> I made telephone calls. I talk to people. I sponsor people. I work the program. That's what I want today because it's given me something I never dreamed that I could have. I had an incredible career from which I retired last year, and I, uh, you know, I never even thought I would do that. I had, I've had, uh, I'm on my third marriage. My first husband was, was killed in an accident in 1966. I had 
three children, six, eight, and ten. It was horrendous. It was hard. It was, we were broke. You know, all of that stuff. I got married again to a person who was in program. He left the program. It just didn't work anymore after that. And I got out. And I am married to my soulmate now. I am married to, in the, in the whole history of loverdom, nobody has ever been happier. <laughs> and we grew up a mile and a half away from each other in New York City and didn't know each other. We met out here. Anyway, that's what I have because of the program. My relationships with people are far beyond anything that I could have dreamed of. I do have friends. I have people that, can call, that I can call on. I don't always like calling on them and saying, I need I need, I need. <laughs> But the fact of the matter is, I'm taught to be honest in the program. And if I'm going to be honest, I have to say, I can't do that. I don't know. You know, I used to make things up when people asked me questions. And if I didn't know the answers, I would make up an answer. <laughs> the audacity. You know, to, to do things like that, the, the ego, that, the contradiction of it all, the ego and then the lack of ego that, that I had in this program. And today I can say, you know what, I'm a good person, I'm a nice person, I'm a kind person, I am a loving person, and I'm lovable. Maybe not everybody loves me, but I'm lovable because... I have a higher power in my life, and I have a program that I follow diligently. I work a very vigilant program. My food is very well taken care of. You know, other people do other things, and that's fine. But in order for me to maintain an 85-pound weight loss for 31 years, I can't let, you know, my mind tell me that's good. I just came back from... A 30-day cruise was the first cruise I've ever been on in my life. I watched people eat. <laughs> and I did. I watched them. You know, and I, I, I watched the process. And I watched the people who were doing it. And most of the time, the people that were doing it were people perhaps that should have watched their food a little bit better, and that's not for me to make the judgment, but food is so insidious, it's there, I paid for it, I have to eat it, you know, and my life is different than that now, there are troubles there, I don't have to pick them up and wear them, there are problems there, I don't have to pick them up and use them, there are people out there, I, I always talk uh, about uh, I used this mostly, chocolate cake men. I used to go for chocolate cake men. The men that were the worst for me, that I was going to hate myself in the morning for, and better I should have eaten chocolate cake. <laughs> but the fact of the matter is there are chocolate cake people in the world for me. There are some people, and, and I know I cannot be everything to everyone. Um, God, too, gave me the ability to work with people, and, and I worked in the field, and I worked at an eating disorder treatment center, and I worked with alcoholics and drug addicts, and I am so grateful to have been given that 
gift because in my other life, I never would have recognized it if it was left on my doorstep in a box tied with ribbon. I would not have known how to, how to use that. And I've learned how to use my life through working the program. And I do it because I love it. My abstinence is the most important thing in my life without exception. Now, that's an old phrase that comes from the old days when abstinence meant your food plan. But abstinence today means not only what I eat, but how I live, what I say, what I do, what I feel. And, you know, I get those old feelings sometimes, and they come marching down the street waving a big red banner that says, I am your disease. <laughs> and I have to be able to say, not today, thank you. I recognize that you are out there, that my disease is right outside the door. I respect it because I know how devastating it can be. You know, you hang around this program long enough, and, and you see the wreckage that this disease creates, and you don't realize it when it's happening. So what happens is that I, I, I hopefully, most of the time, I can see it. And fortunately, what happens, though, for me, I know that there are times I can't see it, but somebody I work with can. They'll recognize it for me because I am blinded by my own emotions sometimes. That doesn't go away. That's still a part of who I am. I'm still an emotional basket case at times, and this week was one of those times. But again, I did not do anything that would be destructive to my program. And you know what? The week passed. The week is gone. Not all of the the things that happened this week are gone, but they will go too. They will go too. Nothing, nothing in this lifetime lasts forever if you don't work on changing it. If you do work on changing it, I'm sorry. And, and that's what I've learned in the program. What I want now is, you know, the serenity prayer part that I love the most is the wisdom to know the difference. Because in the old days, I did not know the difference. And I have this, this comfort zone now. It's my head, my heart, and my stomach. Because the minute something goes wrong in my life, the first thing that happens to me is I feel hungry. I don't feel like I want to drink. I don't feel like I want to take drugs or go out and, and do something ridiculous. I feel hungry, pure and simple. But I know now what that feeling is. I recognize it. And I say, uh-oh, what's going on? What's wrong? And what do I have to do? And what do I have to change? My AA sponsor said to me, there's only one thing you have to change. Everything. <laughs> Is that what I wanted when I came in the room? I don't think so. I don't want to have to work hard. And I know now that the rewards come from working hard. I think Jim said something about uh, doing something and, and not doing it well, and then God always gives you another opportunity to do it again. And that's what happens with stuff I don't like to do. So if I don't face it and I try to bury it, it's going to happen again. Sure as I'm standing here, it's going to happen again, and I'll be given the opportunity to look at it 
and I don't like looking at it, especially if, if it means that the reflection is on me. You know, it was so much easier in the old days, I thought, to blame everything on you. I blamed my weight on everything and blamed everything on my weight. It was incredible. It was, a, it was like that, that uh, the, the treadmill, you know. You just keep going and going and going, and it doesn't get any better, and that's what the insanity is. And what I know now is that I don't have to live in that anymore. It's always going to be there. It will always present it. The opportunity will always present itself for insanity. But I know that if I work a program, that doesn't have to be where it ends for me. I can go beyond that, just like I went beyond weighing 235 pounds. I thought I was doomed, you know, that that's the way it was going to be forever. And it's not. And it's not. And the other advantage, of course, the other reward of all of this is that you get to live long enough to be able to talk about this and share this with other people. I am amazed. My family, my parents were both gone at 64. Heart disease, stomach problems, all of the, the, the high cholesterol, all of that. I'm going to be 72 next month, and I thank God for the opportunity to be standing here doing what I love most, is telling people about why I love the program. And what I'm going to end with, I just got a new book, too. <laughs> and on my anniversary, which was May 20th, it says, I feel sad when I think back to my days before OA, days filled with unstoppable eating, self-loathing, and anger. I felt alone in my world and kept myself apart from family and friends. Excess food sedated me, but it was never enough. I would swear not to binge the next day. You know what the rest of that is. Uh, after uh, coming back to OA, I now love myself first, which means I can love others. I started with OA members. They didn't reject me because of my size or eating habits. I rely on a higher power who loves me and allows me to accept myself as I am at any given time. I have learned to love myself and therefore I can love others. I give service to others in and out of the program. I am alone but lonely no more. And that's really what says it for me in the program. You know what? That's what I want. And the only way I can do it is by eating two scrambled eggs and an orange for breakfast. Thank you. Do we have the basket? Um, if somebody could bring it up here, wonderful. Let's see. We will now have questions from the Ask It basket. Uh, now, I think what I want to do is see if this microphone can make it with Phyllis and Jim, and then we don't have to keep getting up. All right. So, first question. How has your abstinence evolved through the years, or has it stayed the same? This wasn't addressed to either of you, so... Jim? Yes, Phyllis is out there. Uh, okay, um, 
So the, the question is how has abstinence changed? Well, one is that it changed over time from being just the food plan to being all of the things that Phyllis mentioned in terms of, of how I do life and all of that. Um, but I think the question, uh, since I think I, I addressed more of the other changes in life, I didn't talk much about the food, um, that has changed as well. Um, and uh, my experience uh, around the food is that I need to ask HP for loving choices that I can live with um, for the rest of my life. I mean, I, I, diets to me are what I do now so I can stop them later on and eat what the hell I want after it's over. That's, that's what a diet is for me. Um, so if I'm making, one is if I'm making a change in the food plan, I need to ask for a lot of help about that. Ask you know, my experience in the past was asking 50 people who gave me 95 answers. So I've been directed to ask two or three people you really trust at that moment to give you some direction and then ask God because it still comes down to HP saying, is this a wise choice or not? Um, so it has changed over time. The other thing that happens for those of you who are younger is that uh, our bodies don't work the same as we age. And so, so... So some of the things that uh, used to be binge foods for me now make me so ill with small portions of them that I don't even want the small portions. Uh, it's sort of like that old joke about who wants a cookie. You know, I, I want cookies. And it's sort of like, you know, so um, HP is being kinder. I don't know if it's just getting older I get that, but it, it's like certain things I just don't eat now that I used to eat before just because it doesn't make any sense for my physical health. Uh, so I'm very grateful that it is changing because this program is alive. My abstinence is alive. Uh, and it needs to change as I change. And we get medical problems to deal with and stuff too. So um, I'm very grateful. Uh, one quick thing about something structured uh, is that it helps me in the morning. I mentioned day books and stuff like that. I still have what you were mentioning, two scrambled eggs and an orange or orange juice or something, is, is that I have certain foods that um, sometimes I weigh and measure, like I weigh and measure cereal only because I still have the ability after a few years in program to pick the cereal I can pack the most into a cup with. And so it just lets me know, oh, Jim, you're picking that again. Uh, it, it, it's a reminder that I'm a compulsive overeater. So if I start the day like that, the rest of my meals tend to go better. So my breakfasts are more structured just because of that. It helps me remember, oh, yeah, Jim, you have a disease. Because oh. you know, I wake up in the morning, sometimes my brain won't remember that. So did you have any? Ditto. Phyllis says ditto. All right, great. How do you keep coming back when every cell of your being says isolate? Phyllis, do you want to unisolate? Yeah. <laughs> It's a good question because, I, as I mentioned earlier, this, this week was, was terrible. I mean, everything from physical problems to social problems to uh, I want to refinance my house and I spoke to 15 people and talk about getting more answers, more information than you need, you know, and, and, uh, and life goes on. And uh, there's one there's, – those things are changing things, but there's one thing that's constant. And that's program. It's constant no matter what. You know, I, I too, I have a, a bookshelf full of these small books. There must be two dozen of them. And what my, my uh, uh, what I usually do is I pick up one 
and I read it. If I don't like what it says, I pick up another one, you know, and, and I can end up going through six books until I find not that one says what I want it to say, but that the quiet happens here. And that's, that's really what the program does. So, uh, you know, after all of those, all of the years, I still go to a minimum of four meetings a week. I go to, uh, I, I do service uh, in OA as well as in AA. Uh, I, I, you know, that's my life. And if there's somebody out there that can't deal with it, that's really not my problem. on the same lines. Um, how do you keep your excitement and enthusiasm for the program after being here for so many years? I guess we're alternating here. That's cool. Uh, <laughs> there's always a structure if we look for it. Um, <laughs> yeah, um, part of it um, is I, I'm, I'm a structured person. I, uh, I, I like habit. I'm one of those people that you, I do things twice and I've got a habit. So uh, one, one, of the, one of the things that, that helps me uh, when, when I'm feeling kind of complacent or flat or like nothing's going on or whatever uh, is to ask somebody else what they're working on to get another direction than where my thinking is going. The other thing is I go to new meetings. Um, uh, I happen to be blessed with a career that allows summers off. And what I do is pick meetings I've never been to, partially because it allows me to have confidence that if I go on a vacation, I could actually call someplace where I know no one and ask where a meeting is and go and know that I'm going to feel comfortable in the meeting not knowing anyone. I'll still feel more comfortable than outside where people aren't like me. <laughs> um, so, so, and when I go to new meetings and I hear different people talking about different things and it just offers, and the other thing is service, like doing this, somebody asks me to do something, uh, I generally will say yes. I mean, I have gotten to the point where I can say no from time to time, which to me is growth over always saying yes, because I'm a yes-saying person to a great degree. Uh, and whatever we, wherever we need to grow, this program will grow us. So uh, it's finding the next area of growth, and, uh, and like I said, I'm a chicken. So like the courage to try something new does not come naturally. I need to have something that sort of moves me and gets me going, and then I'm moving, and then it's at it so that I can do something else. So, so that adds to the excitement. The, like, like getting this reading today, I now can pray for my own resentment toward me. I don't know where that's going to go. I don't care. All I know is, in program, I do what they say. Life gets better. I don't know how it's going to get better. It may be some way that I'm not really too keen on right at the moment, but it will get better. That's the promise. That's what's always happened. Thanks. Anything else, One of the other things that really keeps it fresh and green for me is sponsoring. Uh, I, I find that each new sponsee brings something new to my life and what it makes me do too. Uh, I never ask my sponsees to do anything that I don't do. So if they're working on step one, I'm working on step one along with them. So sharing their point of view with, with me and, and, you know, the, the, uh, the interchange really is remarkable because it's like, 
Hmm. You know what happens in, in your book? I have a book. I have my, my original big book. So first I started making little pencil marks. Then I started underlining. Then I would do it in, in a, uh, a highlighter. And then eventually the book is pink, yellow, green, and blue. You know, and every paragraph is highlighted. Not because I saw it that way, but because somebody said something that triggered a thought that made me look at something differently. And, and that's, what I, that's why I go to meetings, too. Every meeting, I don't care what the topic is, it's always the same. We're always talking about the same thing. We just get to express it a little differently. And that's exciting to me. Because there's nothing left in life that you can do that Thanks for sharing about self-resentment. How do you deal with it when your head tells you bad things about you at that particular moment? Either of you? Okay. Okay. Um, well, part of it is being able to recognize the, the negative stuff. Um, uh, and that's usually because I want to eat. I mean, I run three or four bad thoughts, and my next thought is, boy, this food would really be good right now to give me out. It, it's sort of like I think HP created us to grow and, and be good for ourselves, and this disease has gone in another direction. So when, when those thoughts come up and the food thought comes up, then, then I know that there's more to that. The fourth step is great for this. The fourth step doesn't say, let's find all the crappy things about myself that I can think of in the next four hours. Um, and uh, there's supposed to be a balanced survey or assessment, meaning that there are some things I'm doing well. Just because I'm focusing on the mistakes I made, one is that mistake may be just what somebody else needs to do some growing, uh, and it offers them an opportunity. Um, it may be that, you know, the, the idea that there's a divine choreographer who runs this dance and I don't have a clue what my steps are is, is comforting to me um, just because I'm starting to trust it. Early in program, it was like wreckage of the past stuff, and now it's like, Where's the spiritual direction? So that idea of, of resenting me, I've made mistakes. Uh, I had three children. Anyone who's a parent knows that they've screwed up here and there, you know, and all of that. Um, my sponsor at the time used to say, take off your God suit. There are more people in this child's life, and they're making their own choices too. You know, it was like all these things. So talking to someone else about it helps. Listening to compliments when they show up helps. My favorite thing is somebody says, wow, that was really nice. And I go, yeah, yeah, you know. And, again, somebody said, thank you. It's a complete thought. It's just like, thank you. And then it's like pausing and saying, let that in. You can let that in, you know. Somebody thought you did okay. Even if your brain says this, somebody else thought that. So um, there are a lot of ways. It's sort of nurturing. Uh, the other great help that somebody gave me in program was I have three kids, and they said, you really have four, and one's you. And would, you're, would you want to be the parent that says what you just said to yourself to one of your children? You know, you were mentioning, like, yelling and stuff. It's you know, sort of like, yeah. You know, uh, there's a thing in the program where it's, uh, one of the uh, readings has, uh, just think what it would be like when you're in the middle of a rage if someone were videotaping you and then gave you the tape to watch later on. You know, that has stopped me in the middle of many, you know, it's sort of like if someone were taping my thoughts about me, same kind of thing, and then played it back. Where would that, you know, is that something, 
that me in recovery wants to be saying to me in recovery? Is that what something Jim wants to say to little Jim, if you want to use that child stuff or even the adult stuff? Does somebody want to say that? No, I don't. Um, so that's really helpful. The other, the other practice is complimenting other people. Helps me start complimenting me. Somebody said give three people compliments in a day. And I run around giving people compliments, and I get a lot of smiles. People like to be complimented. And so I thought, wow, same kind of thing. Pray for the person I resent. Okay, I can give myself three compliments during the day, not all at night before I go to bed when I go, yeah, yeah, I didn't kill anyone on the freeway, and, you know, <laughs> I didn't strangle my kid for another day. And, you know, it's sort of like during the day, once in the morning, once in the middle of the day, whatever the system is that works for you to force you to think better, you know, force me to think better about me, that helps. Um, and then I start getting balance, and that's what program asking. Balance, balance, balance. Yes, I have defects. Yes, I have gifts. If I never look at the gifts, there's something wrong. That's not recovery to me. You talk about when your head tells you. First of all, it's, it's my head filled with my disease. That's the first thing. And it's also my head is filled with misinformation. That's my, I was brought up, you're fat, ugly, lazy, and stupid. And so everything that I ever did in the rest of my life, if I make a mistake, I say, sure, you know, look at you. You know, what are you, you going to do? And I learned not to listen to that voice. Well, sometimes there's not another voice that says that's not true. But, you know, I, I have to do the best to accept myself at that moment. But I'm not fat, ugly, lazy, and stupid. I don't know that I ever really was. You know, for somebody to say that to me, but that's a myth, and I believed it. I took it, and so I don't believe that stuff anymore. The other thing that goes along with what you were saying about parenting yourself, as I've gotten older and I've entered that, that group, I say, don't parent yourself. Grandparent yourself, because nobody treats a kid better than a grandparent. <laughs> As an old-timer, please discuss your experience with the road getting narrower, i.e., old behaviors, old ideas not working anymore, and discuss how you deal with this practically one day at a time. The road gets narrower. We both said, certainly food-wise, it's gotten narrower, and it gets narrower. But, you know, it, it, it gets narrower, but you have more choices. You see, before, there weren't choices. Because if they were there, I didn't recognize that they were there. I had no choice but to eat. I had no choice but to use drugs. I had no choice. And what happens now is the road gets narrower, but there are more choices. So that uh, I may not be able to eat as much as, well, I was going to say as I used to, or I wanted to, but I have so many choices of what I can eat. You know, so people say to me, well, how do you manage? I say, I don't care when I go out what, what I eat, really, whether it's tuna fish salad or, or a chef salad or, or roast beef or, you know, whatever, because I will eat those all in, in the right proportions, and that's the secret for me, and that my recovery is in direct proportion to the effort I put into it, and so... Does the road get narrower? I suppose so, but it really is broad enough for me 
to live out the rest of my life on that road. Yeah, uh, yeah. That, I, you know, I was just mentioning that idea of narrow is secure, and HP's got this big wide roadway, and yeah, it, it does get narrower. Uh, in the sense that it feels narrower because I can't do whatever I want whenever I want to do it. Um, and I, and I and mentioned thinking and all of that. It's like I, I can't entertain all the resentments I used to entertain, all the anger, all the hostility. I can't entertain all the uh, ideas that aren't really uh, going to get me forward in terms of having a better life. Like my best thinking is I would like to eat whatever I want to eat whenever I want to eat it and not get fat. You know, that, that would be really nice, you know. So I still, when I'm listening to infomercials, which is a mistake for me, that's part of my abstinence. You know, as soon as it's a, this is a paid announcement, click to something else. But once in a while, I'll get fogged into it, and somebody will say, here's this magic pill. While you're asleep, you take this and whatever. You know, and my best thinking goes, that's it. That's what I want. <laughs> I want to eat whatever I want all day long, take this pill, go to sleep, wake up, and I'm still thin. Ah! That's, you know, so narrower, yeah, in that I'm eliminating some of the behavior that was really bad for me. But just thinking of the options of the openness of that is, uh, on the other side, um, yeah, it, it, you know, after being here a while, it, it, you know, it's narrower in terms of some people are toxic for me and I shouldn't really be near them um, and all of that. But on the other hand, there are so many more new people to meet who have ideas and adventures in, uh, in their midst that, that I mean, you know, it felt narrower earlier than it does now. Now it feels like there's this, you know, this broad highway of potential things that HP is going to bring up. And if I'm abstinent, I am aware that they're there. And um, just one other quick, uh, quick thing. Uh, this this big book is the one I got originally, and you may have heard this story before, but just, uh, you know, to give you a sense of where this trust that the universe is actually a pretty friendly place uh, when I don't sabotage it. Um, this was, uh, I got in a thrift shop because I'm cheap. And so when I wanted to get my big book, I went to a thrift shop and thought, I'm not going to pay this absorbent amount. I'm going to go to, you know. And so here's this, you know, there was this one and the AA 12 and 12. The AA 12 and 12, someone had bought it for OA and had lined out all the alcohol and put in, and put in carbohydrate. In the first chapter, it stopped. And so one of the things that reminded me is, I can't really stop. I mean, I don't know what happened to this person, but it's in a thrift shop, which does mean it's not being used by the person who bought it originally. You know, I don't know if they moved or whatever, but I just thought, okay. So they tried it, and, it, and, and that didn't work. This one is from uh, an AA person, and it talks about some treatment program stuff. So it's got all these notes from people who said, uh, it's been a pleasure spending this short time with you and watching you grow. Remember, don't take that first drink, and things will get better. God bless. And it's like filled with all these quotes from people, and it's in a thrift shop. Okay, so uh, if there's a word out of all of this narrow, wide, whatever, is we keep coming back and life gets better. Whether it's a narrow road or a wide road, it gets better, and you can trust that. You know, it's, it's, you can trust anything out of this whole thing is keep coming back, life gets better. Not a bad promise. <laughs> Now I'm praying for yourself. How do you keep with asking for God's will, not yours? 
praying for you. Uh-huh. Pray for oh, how do you how do you keep with asking for God's will, not your will? Oh. I'm not sure sometimes what my will is and what God's will is. Uh, you know, I would love to tell you that I always know what God's will is, and I do that all the time. Um, what I do pray for, and I did a lot of it this week, is acceptance of whatever happens. Because that's where uh, I could get into trouble. You know, I want to stamp my feet and, and you know, lay down blah, 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 and, and throw a temper tantrum. And I don't do that anymore. I mean, I, not the way I used to. And um, so I, I pray for acceptance. But I, I will tell you this also, that I do know when God's will is upon me because I feel it in my comfort zone. When when something is not just right, I get that feeling in here. I, 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 it's just something that I know. And when it's God's will, and then whether I like it or not, I say, okay, just give me the strength to accept this and get through it. And you know what? That's given... That's, that's worked for me a lot of times. When, when my, my first husband was killed in an accident, and um, somebody said to me, how did you get through that? And that was before I got into program. And I said, and I remember this, because I, I don't know what I was talking through. I said, I got up in the morning, and I, I would say, God, you got me into this. Now you get me out. And you know what I say today? God, you got me into this. Now you help me out. <laughs> uh, and one other, one other thing is that I, another sort of shading of that, that same idea is praying for myself and trusting that it's not just my deluded thinking that's coming back to me. It's a hard one for me sometimes. And uh, so when the first idea comes back, I generally don't ask, act on the first idea. Um, so... Uh, Part of that is asking, this is what a kind, loving person would do, helps me sort of sort out, you know, when, when I want to yell at somebody, then I, you know, that sort of shapes that to some extent. The other thing is uh, sort of what, uh, what the Phyllis just ended with is that idea that if, if, I, if I'm asking for direction and I get direction and I act on it, HP is not going to let me die out of this. I feel like I'm going to die like 20% of the day because I'm trying something new or somebody says hi and I go, what if I say the wrong thing? You know, so, stark terror. Someone being friendly can be stark terror to me. And so, so then it becomes trusting that HP will get me through this on to the next thing and it'll be all right. You know, it really will be all right. No matter how screwed up it gets, if it's a, it's, it, you know, it's almost like I can't not do it right because if I, if it's my thinking and it's screwed up, consequences will show up. If I'm not eating, that little thing in the stomach will happen, and I'll just know, oh, that was Jim thinking, you know, and, and not to slam Jim thinking. Jim's got some great thoughts that HP stuffs in there, but the, the thoughts just show up, and some of them are good and some of them aren't, and so it's like praying for direction, having the courage to pick something. Do it and know that no decisions are forever. Somebody told me that early on. Make a decision, for Christ's sake. Just do it. And then, you know, change your mind in 20 minutes if it's not working. You know, if, if it's not that big a deal.